while you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, last week what we did is we went through being a baby, the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we talked about, that the, t- the teaching title was Stop Being Such a Baby. Now, how many of you, let's just take another poll real quick. Let's just be completely selfless. Raise your hand if everybody said, you're being a baby. Okay? Now, raise your hand and keep it up if you've ever been called a baby. Raise your hand. All right, so 50% of us are telling the truth. The other half are liars. Because I know all of us have called someone a baby, right? <laughs> Can I get a redo? No, you failed. Nobody else is going to heaven now. No, the, the, the entire intent of, of that whole title is that what Paul says is really insulting because he says you're like infants. He says you, you are literally just like babies nursing. And when something shiny comes by you and you like it, you, you grab for it. And when something you don't like happens, you throw a fit. Now that sounds like America, right? If it's pretty and shiny, we grab for it. If we don't like it, we throw a fit and we destroy a Walmart in the name of peace. But it's all the same fleshly desires. Be very, very careful when you watch videos on the internet and judge these people who are doing these different things because we're all brats too. We just do bratty things in different bratty ways. Just ask your spouse sitting next to you. (gasps) No, don't. I've already got enough marriage counseling. So we continue this week. The teaching title is Babies Build Wimpy Buildings. Now, you would never, ever create a team of children who are, you know, two or three weeks old up to around three or four years old and have them be the construction crew, right? You'd never do that, ever. Please, someone nod. We have logic, right? We would never do that. Why? Because it's dumb. It's dumb. And in fact, it's interesting, when you go and look through the the Bible at the word foolish, how many of you have ever seen the word, read the word, or used the word foolish? I think everybody should raise their hand, right? Do you know that 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 root word comes from a Greek word, are you ready, where we get the word moron? Moros, morai, all the different ways that it's used. So really what he's saying is that if you're acting like babies, you guys are a bunch of morons. That's what he says here to the Corinthians. He's not saying foolish because he's wanting to sound nice. This letter is not a gentle back rub to say, just keep trying harder. He says, you guys know. You know it. And he gets later on in the book and he says, and because you know it and you're not doing it, there are people around you that are plummeting to hell watching your fake life. And that's the frustration that Paul says. He says, I love you guys. I do. Trust me. I love you. Otherwise, I wouldn't write you. I'd just say, you know what? Let them burn up in whatever foolishness. But that's not what he does. He corrects those who are brothers and sisters and talks with them. And not just so they can be gooder and gooder and gooder, but so that they can actually be sent out to what God has for them to do. So the whole intent, as we go into chapter 3, if you've already turned there, awesome. We'll start in verse 1. If you haven't, hurry up. Because we're going to start reading. We're going to start in verse 1. And remember, the the series that we're going through right now is how to play church. And 
It's Paul's, we're studying Paul's whole letter. Again, and it's funny because I get comments on this almost every week. This is not prescriptive. This is not telling us what to do. We're not reading this going, okay, so how we play church. No, we're not supposed to be playing church. This is facetious. If you guys have known me for three or four seconds, you know, oh yeah, Joe's a jerk. So, (laughs) chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to infants or babes in Christ, sitting there suckling at your mother, grasping at what you like, kicking away what you don't like, he says. He says, number two, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you weren't even able to receive it, and even now you still can't handle it. For you're still carnal. Another word there could be fleshly. Another word that we use there, a phrase, is animal desires. It's simply, what do I feel? And I want it now. And if I don't get it now, you're going to pay. Sounds like a baby. And then he keeps going and says, for, and he gives an example, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, just behaving like mere men? He just got done in chapter 2 saying, listen, spiritual people aren't governed by the flesh. It's the spirit that drives them to do things in life. And so he says, listen, You're just behaving like regular people. Christ didn't save you to make you regular people. He says you're a special. You're a peculiar. You're not normal. Somebody give me an amen out there because at least I know that one. I'm not normal. And I look at you guys every Sunday and I know you're not. Verse 4. For one says, and remember he's quoting back to some problems he's been talking about in the first two chapters. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian, I read the Bible, I read the New Testament, I read the Old Testament, I sing this song, I don't sing that song, I sing hymns, I sing choruses, I don't sing, we use instruments, we don't use instruments, I'm a dork, you're a dork, pick whatever it is we claim. Aren't you just being fleshly? You're just going, well, I like shopping at Fred Meyer. Well, some of us don't anymore because they don't sell guns, oh well. Well, I, I, I shop at cars on the right-hand side of the store where the better food is. So what? I don't care. God doesn't care. He would rather you love him and go to McDonald's every day than act like you're better than someone by going to the nice section of the store. Honestly, I'd rather go down the energy drink island, witness to one of the people trying to start Jerry Springer over there than hang out with the people who are better than me. And I say that because I saw it just about two weeks ago. You had like three people in there, and oh man, it was great. I wanted to film it, but then I really felt guilty because I enjoyed it too much. But, <laughs> but I couldn't help seeing this in my own life all week. I'm this way, I'm that way. I, I, I remember having discussions with people 10, 15 years ago about Bible versions, about song types. And I remember talking with someone, well, you, you shouldn't listen to this, or you, you should read this specific translation. I wish I could go back and beat myself up 15 years ago. There's just so much I was wrong in. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I read the NKJV, I read the KJV, I read the NIV, I read the something, whatever. Well, I read the message, and oh, oh well, <laughs> let me tell you about Jesus, because you can't know him from that. Not true. It's very important that we really realize that God's asking us in this whole past chapter, and let me just start with the first point for this morning, that when we are dealing with others unspiritually, and we're focused on some fleshly preference, like, oh, that looks good, or oh, I don't like that, we are playing church. 
We're deciding in this case what makes a Christian, what doesn't make a Christian. We've decided to go to our playground and go, I'm going to make a church, and it has a steeple, and it has this, and it has an organ because we don't like good music, and we have all this different stuff going on. But there's no life. There's no life at all. I remember talking with someone here in, in Alaska, and in, in, uh, actually remember talking to Chamber of Commerce in Eagle River. Name doesn't matter, but what I was saying several years ago when we were praying about where to plant and start a church, I said, talked to this, this person that was there, and I said, you know, here's what my thoughts are, and, and you know, what's the community like? What do you think is the biggest needs in the community from your perspective? And, and she said, well, we need this, we need this. And then all of a sudden looked at me and says, well, we're, we're not this kind of community. Very defensive. And I said, oh, well, I, I understand that. That's fine. You have a great vision and do whatever you want to do. And she said, well, what are you here for? I said, honestly, I'm looking for a place to start a church, but not just, and and immediately interrupted, we don't need any more churches. Have you seen the road up around the corner? I said, yeah, I have, and I don't want to do that. What what, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to just build another church because we don't need more churches. We need life-giving fellowships. We need places where people are challenged. We need places where people aren't getting back rubs when they need to get slapped and getting slapped when they need to get back rubs. The spirit is what drives that. And when we deal with others spiritually and someone comes up to me and they're talking about something and I 100% disagree with it, maybe I need to stop worrying about how they're saying it and listen for the what. What's going on? Because most of the time the how for all of us is dead wrong. It is, especially us men. We will say it to our wives and immediately they're crying. We're like, I don't know what I did. It was the how, okay? Next time start with I love you, you're pretty. Don't end with it, okay? It always works. If you just give a pause, a long one, and then say nothing else. <laughs> I love you, you're pretty. See, what Paul's saying here, and this is to us, is that the choices we have in life, we choose whether we're directed by the flesh or directed by the spirit. We make that choice. We say, yes, God, or yes, Joe, or yes, salary, yes, Frank, or whomever. Those are my two favorite words. So if anybody named Frank or Sally ends up coming here, I feel bad for you because I'm going to make fun of you all the time. Not on purpose. But it's our choice. It's our choice to say, you know what, God, I'm going to listen to you or I'm not going to listen to you. Why? Because God wants a relationship, not a programmed robot. He wants someone to respond to him because they love him. If I had, when I got married and, and, and I'm standing there in front of my wife and I said, to, the, to the, the pastor, whoever, you know, I'm ready to do my vows. And I just gave this, my wife a checklist and said, you have to say you love me. You have to make sure that all the sandwiches are made on time and these other things are done. And I gave her that checklist. Ladies, calm down. Blood pressure lowered. And I gave her that checklist. Is there any love that I'm allowing for? No. No, because love includes will. Real love includes will. And that's why I love when we, my wife and I changed our vows and, and when I did friends of mine uh, weddings and things like that, I always would challenge them to say, I will in your vows instead of I do. Because I will says I'm making the choice to love you and hold you and cherish you no matter what. I'm making the choice, I'm making the choice, I'm making the choice. Same with this with God. I know too many times for me, I pray and say, God, I want to do this. And usually his response is, not enough. And then I have to say, okay, I will. We know that. This is what Paul's getting at in here, and he's, he's saying, you guys, you're saying I will go to that shiny thing. 
and, and, and I don't like that shiny thing anymore, so I will we'll go here. But we won't say, God, I will. That's weird, though. Doesn't matter. I will. Will we do that for God? One of the other things that's important that I, I think we see here in verse 1 and 2 is that when we start being that, that infant in life, we're playing church. And you know how to know that? When we're only seeking what feels good and entertains. You, you know how many, and you may not know how many actually, how many emails and, and conversations I have with people that say, Pastor, can I talk to you after the service? And I say yes, and they go, you know, we're not going to attend here anymore. I said, okay, what, why is it? Did I blaspheme the name of Jesus? Did someone punch you in the parking lot? What's wrong? Oh, well, you just don't have this for me. Now, I don't know if I should share with you what I really think. No, I'm not going to. I want to stay at least somewhat presentable in front of you. But it's not Christian. But the problem that I have is that they go and they list, well, you guys aren't doing this. Well, I see you're gifted in this. Why, why wouldn't you go ahead? Well, no, that's what you're supposed to do. You're the pastor. No. We'll read from here, actually, the pastor is lower and lesser than the attendees or the engagees. The engagees and the attendees are the ones who are supposed to be doing the evangelism. They're the ones who are supposed to be doing the works of ministry that fell on deaf ears, sadly, on many people. But it's not where I'm going to come and have the pastor tell me things, and I better, I better not be bored. And then when I leave, he better tell me about how he did his job, like, you know, making people come to Jesus all week and fixing marriages and all this other stuff that should be happening. No, it's the opposite. I want to get emails from you guys going, man, I just prayed with this friend of mine. He accepted Jesus. Yes! We were hanging out, and there was a hole in the ice, and he wanted to get baptized, and I threw him in. It took an hour to get him out, and, and we brought him back to life, and it was awesome! That's what I want to get emails on. Not, well, you're not servicing me, Pastor. I'm sorry, this is the wrong place if that's what you're looking for. And I don't want to say that meanly. I love every one of you, even if I've never met you. God wants to do a great work. And I want to challenge everyone that a life that seeks what feels good and what entertains is exactly what the world has to offer. So we've got it. But a life that really does feel good to the core of who we are and brings true activity. And, and, and what the King James used to say, I love it because I'm kind of a, uh, what was that movie where you used to cut off people's heads and you got their life from them? Highlander. The quickening in the Highlander. That's all I could ever think of is the Highlander when I read the King James. There's that quickening, that bringing to real life. Man, I got a chance a couple weeks back to pray with someone to accept Christ, and you want to talk about high Oh, man. And you look at him, you're like, man, that person's such a dork for Jesus right now. I love it. They don't care what's going on. They got Jesus in them. And it's awesome. It's awesome. See, I want to challenge us to realize something about happiness and joy. And this is what Paul's talking about. You're going after happiness. Well, here's what happiness is. Happiness is found when what we want to happen happens. I want it to happen. It happened. Oh, good, I'm happy. Because it happened. It's what I wanted. And so it happened, and therefore I'm happy. But here's the difference with joy. Joy is found when things happen how he wants. So we'll have no eternal contentment if we don't have the eternal goals being accomplished. We will always have temporal contentment if our short-term goals are always accomplished. 
If all of our life was focused on, I just got to make it through today, that's a depressing life, isn't it? How many of us have ever been in that chapter? I've been there before. Just got to make it through today. What happens to tomorrow? It's worse than a Hoover vacuum. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Why? Because you just got to get through that day. What about looking towards the eternal goals that God has? The mission he's called for us to, to, to literally affect someone's eternity with his truth. Because it's easy to have fun for a short time and walk away and have no idea what that person's eternity is like. It's important to realize that that real joy only comes from that. But then it gets uncomfortable in verse 3 and 4 where Paul starts to talk about picking sides. And I just want to challenge everyone here with another point here. Is that we play church when we try to make our preferences into God's preferences and take sides. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. It's very easy. How do you say that, Pastor? Because we're human. We look at somebody and the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they act, who they talk to, how they talk to, whoever, whomever, whatever. We judge them. Sometimes it's, it's not a bad judgment. We simply make a judgment and say that person seems to be nice or that person seems to be sad or that person seems to be whatever. But then we take it further and go, and I'm not. And they're not like me. And so since it's different, I was talking to a guy who many of us probably wouldn't call a Christian, although I think he is one. Doesn't go to a church, isn't involved in some fellowship, but he's actively witnessing to his gay brother. And he's talking to him, throwing some logic out there that I wish I would hear coming from the church. And he's throwing it out there, and his brother is silent before it, and he's not doing it angrily. And, he sa- and, and the guy says, you know, I'm just really tired of the church looking at things and going, it's different, kill it. That's so wrong. I got forwarded some messages and forwarded a video from someone this week where we had a whole bunch of Christians arguing about a word in a worship song. Worship song, subjective experience. And there were arguments going, well, I don't think we should say that word in a church. It was the word reckless. Some of you heard reckless love by Corey Asbury. Powerful. But people are going, well, I don't know if we should use the word reckless. Are you kidding me? Grace is the stupidest thing in the world. Paul just said it. Psalms, David is blasphemous in what he says about God. We shouldn't read the Psalms then. No. This is a personal relationship. You're absolutely right that agape is reckless. I'm a moron, to use the Greek word. And it is reckless to be Romans 5, 8 about me and say, even though you were cursing me, you were fornicating, looking at me, sticking your tongue out, sinning against me, I still loved you and died for you. That's reckless. But you know what? All these Christians were arguing over this video. And you know what? Every post that made sense was a pastor going, I haven't stopped weeping all day. Because you guys should be out evangelizing. You should be focusing on loving your God. You should be focusing on building each other up. But yet you're arguing about the word reckless. He was devastated. This one pastor made me cry. It was, I just, my mind was looking at this going, we're on Facebook while my neighbor is, is rotting in their sin? What? And now I'll tell you, 
how much I had to battle my flesh, because we almost sang reckless love today just because I wanted to be spiteful. (laughs) But I wanted the Spirit to speak and not Joe today, okay? Just be careful that preferences don't become God's preferences. What God said very clearly is that they will know you are Christians because you've created a standard that no one can reach and they just keep following after you and crying when they can't. No, they said they will know you are Christians by what? Your agapeo, your unconditional give a care. Period, not and. Period. We'll go into that in a little bit. Let's talk about, though. I want to talk about how to move from a flesh-directed to a spirit-directed life. Any, anybody want that today? I do. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I, I want that. So, so let's start that. Spirit-directed versus flesh-directed, all right? So number one is this. It, and I've said it before, but it's important to know, we need to feed the spirit, not fight the flesh. Feed the spirit, don't fight the flesh. Why do I say that? Because we came to Christ because we couldn't win against the flesh. We're not going to win against it afterwards. It's the spirit that defeats the flesh. So we can keep battling against the flesh or we can feed the spirit, which is what overcomes the flesh. And today, maybe some of you came in here and you're overwhelmed with this battle against a fleshly thing in your life or a fleshly pattern that just comes back that these scenarios happen and I'm the same fleshly person. I always call it whatever year it is, Flesh Fest 2018. When I just, I, I, I'm in my devotion time, and I'll just write it, like Flash Fest 2018, and I'll just confess everything that's been Joe all week. It's important. Because we're good at being all about us. So we need to work on feeding the Spirit. Let, let's look at some verses that kind of pull on that a little bit. You'll see something in Galatians we read last week. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. See, they're already in a battle. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are what? Against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if I'm choosing, I'm going to fight the flesh, I'm going to fight the flesh. No. The spirit that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I have to empower that spirit. I have to release my will to that spirit. Next, you'll see in Romans, I love this section, because it's not Paul just talking and acting calm and just saying a few things. Paul is escalatingly freaking out, starting in Romans chapter 1. He's very run-on sentence theologian in the first chapter, and then he starts getting a little more raw in chapter 2, and then 3 starts escalating, and then he starts saying phrases with exclamation points like, certainly not, no way, and he gets to chapter 4 and 5, and, it, and you can see it like that, that quiet, angry you know, that, that like, okay, you guys really need to understand this. And then he gets to chapter 6, and he starts beating up himself, and you know he's loud. And then he gets to chapter 7, and he says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He then continues further down in the chapter. He says, wretched man that I am. I am pathetic, he says. I am consumed by the flesh. It seems like every time I battle the flesh, I'm punching the flesh, I've got it in a headlock, it bites my arm, whatever it is. I can't win against it, he says. Then he says this, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? It's a good question. In fact, it's a question that can always be answered. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exclamation point. He wasn't going, yeah, that's neat, thanks. 
Thanks, J-Dog. No, he says, thanks be to God because of Jesus. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. I'm going to focus on what? Feeding the Spirit. Feeding the Spirit. I will focus on the law of God with my mind. But if my flesh is going to serve sin, it's going to lose. It's going to lose. So he calls us, challenges us to feed that spirit. And then it continues on in chapter 8 of Romans. He's, he's keep going. Remember, the original letters didn't have chapters in them. So he's just still writing. There is therefore now, remember, it's after Jesus. Remember this progression that Paul has. He's talking about sin. He talks about his battle with sin and flesh. He says, I'm a horrible person. I don't know what to do. Wait, light bulb, Jesus. Wait a second. Then he keeps going. He has these epiphanies while he's writing. There, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything I was ranting about for six chapters, it's gone. It's over. There's no more condemnation. Do we have conviction that says, mm, I hurt my father? Yes, we do. Do we have condemnation that says, you sin, you're going to burn in hell now. You have no way to be forgiven. That is a lie. If any of you hear that today, that is a lie. God has forgiveness for you. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. And if you feel condemnation and you truly want to be a God follower, a Christ follower, that condemnation is a lie. Let the conviction work. Absolutely respond to the conviction and apologize for whatever it is that needs to happen. But then get going with him. Because the condemnation is a lie. Chapter chapter 8, verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're free. Even if it doesn't feel like it, the feelings are a lie then. I, 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 don't, I don't know, Joe. I just, it, it always feels like all these things, I, I feel like I'm not doing enough, I'm not, I'm not acting this way, because Christianity is not doing and it's not acting. That's not what it is. Now, our response to Jesus is always going to be action. Our response to Jesus is always going to be doing what he's asked for us. But it's out of our own love for him, not trying to get him to love us. Do you see that? We can't make him love us more. We were piles of dirt, useless. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, disgusting, gross, nasty, stinky. That's when he died for us and loved us. So I can't make him love me more because I've cleaned up because he loved me when I was gross. You're never going to beat that. Never going to beat it. Here's the next Number two, this one might not make sense, but read it over. Seek to be more like Jesus and not like a Christian. It's important. It's important. I've had many conversations with people. I just, I don't feel like I'm acting like a Christian. Okay, good, we got that out of the way. Let's go for Jesus. It's very difficult. In fact, how many of you have heard the phrase or used it? Well, that's not very Christian of you. Yeah, I've had people say that to me because I told them that they were wrong. Well, that's not very Christian of you. No, actually, it's very Christian of me because it was the most like Jesus I've been all day. And last I remember, he grabbed a whip around the religious people and started beating them with it. Not that I want to do that. I love all you guys. It's all the other religious people I don't like. That's the biggest trouble that our God had when he came to this earth. It wasn't with the people who were lost and broken. He was hugging on him and loving him. A woman with a problem with blood, she touched me. Not how dare she, I want to see her. Tax collector, I'm going to his house. 
but it's a rave, Jesus. They're probably going to do drugs and play music that has a syncopated beat, and we know that that's how Satan gets into people's lives. Cool. There's going to be lost people there. I came to the lost, not the found. I came to the lost, not the found. And that's what the church is called to do. We're not called to act like Christians. We're called to act like Jesus. And in fact, acting like Christians today is embarrassing sometimes, isn't it? Let's go for Jesus. What did Jesus do? The sinners, the dirty, the lost, the outcast, the lepers. Touched. Broke the religious laws. The blind, the broken with the infirmities. Touched. Broke the religious laws. And there began the revolution, not because the religious people said, let's make it more difficult for people to get to heaven, but because the irreligious or the non-religious said, I don't know who he is, but I was blind, but now I can see. And that's the challenge. Paul's trying to get into the heads of these people to move from the, the flesh to the spirit. The flesh says, let's create a group, let's create a clique, let's have buildings and systems and organizations together to make it so that we know whoever is going to become a Christian, that we've approved it. Come on. Within a couple hundred years, they were having approvals for baptisms. You want to read the book of Acts? What did it say? Have you been baptized? No. Boom. <laughs> baptized. Let's go. If you've never been baptized... We're having a baptism on our, at our Easter service two Sundays from now. We're going to have a hot tub sitting out there. We're going to do baptisms. We're going to, people come off the road and go, I want Jesus. We're going to baptize them there. Why? Because it's a heart problem first. You are baptized in the Spirit first, and then when you have committed that spiritual life to God, you then are baptized physically for us to see it. That's it. So if you've never been baptized, catch me after the service. We're going to have baptisms there, and if you just change your mind during the service and you're like going, I'm going full clothed, no cell phone, but full clothed, we'll have extra towels. I'm dead serious. We're going to do that on Easter as a celebration for the new life that he's given us. So seek to be more like Jesus, less like a Christian. Why do I say that? Well, here's the next verse. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you acting just like people of the world? Isn't that what you're doing? I'm part of this club. I do this thing. How many of you have ever tried to go into a club or an organization and, and you didn't realize it was exclusive and you got, you got kicked out. Anybody? Okay, I'm so glad you guys raised your hands. I'm, thinking, like, I'm glad I'm not the only one that had a palm print on my forehead when I got stiff arm. I'm like, hey, loser, you don't have the right stuff. But that's what we do. I remember going into a church one time. I, I, I've followed Jesus for almost over 30 years. And I remember going into a church one time. And I remember getting stopped. Is there something you need, son? In my late teens. I had long hair, baggy jeans, wallet chain. Not, hey, how you doing, man? What's up? Is there something you need, son? You going to rob me or something? Wait a second. I want those people coming in. There's a hospital sign here, not a club. Because what God wants to do is change those lives. That's why we, we did this entire four-year remodel where we moved the bathroom door so guys would stop getting looked at and we would ha we'd put chairs up there and coffee and tables. Why? Because we want you guys to be able to know that you can come here, bring some friends and hang out out there during the service if you guys don't like these hellacious chairs or maybe you just want to hang out there afterwards and pray with somebody. Whatever it is, that's what we're doing. We want people to walk in and go, man, this, I actually feel like I could hang out here, especially with a bunch of Christians. That's what I want to say. Number three, 
throw away the personal preferences and perceptions in our relationships. That's very hard because you know what? We associate convictions of ours as if they were convictions of God's. I've had discussions with people who are pro-Christmas and anti-Christmas. People who are pro-Halloween and anti-Halloween. I don't care whatever side you're on. I don't care. Are you using every opportunity God gives to share the message? I'm very serious. I've had people that did not like Christmas, did not like what it stands for, did not like all the commercialism, and therefore decided to ignore it completely. Here's the other problem. We get on the other side and say, keep Christ in Christmas. You know my response is? He was never there because it's historically wrong. But we will have an absolute awesome Christmas Eve service here every year. Why? Because people like to hear more about Jesus at Christmas. I don't know why. It would make me feel guilty if I was a sinner. I'm like, I don't want to hear about Jesus at Christmas because I'm already overspending. But that's what God really wants is for us to use those opportunities. But it used to be a pagan holiday. Yes, so are the names of our days. Are we not going to track the days? We should use God's calendar. God doesn't have a calendar. He's timeless. Pick whatever religious things we want to use. We have to go back to the directive that God gave us. What? Go into all the world, baptizing them and making disciples. That's what he said to do. Well, well, how do we do that? Well, we got people that are willing to come and listen to a Christian talk on Christmas Eve. Should we take that opportunity? Yes. We have people that come to our house looking for candy at Halloween. What should we do? Close the door and hide it. Close the curtains because we don't want those sinners with us. Wait a second. They're coming to my house. Okay, how many of us, it's hard to think about going into evangelism. I agree. It's hard to step out of my comfort zone. They're coming to us. Give them a massive snicker. Give them the whole sleeve of snickers. Not fun size, Christian size, the big huge ones. The king of kings size. Go for it. And then slap a Bible on there. We had a Bible study one time in the front yard of our house. Like all the kids, I've got a garbage bag full of candy. Sit down and listen to Jesus and you can have it all. What do kids do? I'll accept them right now if I can have the Snickers, mister. People want to listen. Why? You're bribing people to come to Jesus? No. We're taking the opportunities God gave us. Paul was a sucker for those. He's getting mobbed, and they're dragging him out. He turns around and he goes, but they're all trapped in that, that area there. Can I, can I go talk to them? That's what I want. And, man, if you're not witnessing on an airplane, that is prime. What are they going to do? Run away? <laughs> Can't change seats because they'll get tased. It's perfect. Hey, you're sitting next to me, clip. Let me tell you about Jesus. Immediately, <laughs> this air does not work right now. Ding, 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 ding. That's all right. I got him. I'll, I'll take care of him. Our personal preferences oftentimes drive us. We don't have the Spirit leading us. Second Corinthians, Paul's still writing to the same group of people a couple letters later, and he says, so we've stopped evaluating others from what? A human point of view. Jesus gives us the ability, okay? He says this, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And remember this, Jesus said to Mary, what? Stop holding on to me. Don't hold on to me, okay? Your relationship with me is not physical. You're not going to be able to touch me and see me all the time. You're not going to be able to hold me and see me all the time. Why? Because the relationship with God is not physical. He says, I got to go. And it's better for you that I go. How differently we know him now, Paul says. That would be ice falling off of the roof. How differently we know him now. Or maybe it was just for effect. I don't know. God's out there. Guys, hit it now. Oh, you were off. 
How differently we know him now, he says. So what does it say? So we stop evaluating others from a human point of view. Who does that include? Anybody who is an other to me. Guess what? That's everyone around me that's an other. Even the guy walking down the street talking to himself? Yeah. Even the guy in the store that really is irritating and creepy? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he calls us to. That's what he challenges us to. Is that we don't look at them and go, wow, what a horrible physical human person. We stop and say, I wonder what the status is with Jesus. Well, how, how, we don't know that, Joe. Okay, good. Ask him then. You guys fell for it. You stop looking at people that physically doesn't please me the right way. And we look at them in, in accordance with Christ. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That was only four verses, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter, we're not reading the whole chapter, by the way. I don't, I want to. We're not going to. I'm only halfway through my notes. I'm only a quarter way through my notes. All right. Verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? You know the word minister means? Servant. Who are Paul and Apollos? They're just some dudes that had a message that wasn't theirs, that set a foundation of not their material to tell you about a salvation that they can't give. Why would we pick sides in that case? Why would we do that? I had someone say to me when they heard a family was leaving the church, and and they said, whatever happened to praying and asking what God would have you do about the things that bother you? I said, I don't know. I don't know. God didn't bring us to a building or to somewhere else to tell someone else to, to do the solution. God brings us all together because every one of you guys are gifted and talented. God has done amazing things in each of you as a creation. And whoever is saying, no, he didn't in your mind, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he built you and will empower you to do all he's asked. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Otherwise, it's a bunch of muddy, rotten seeds. Without God, they're making a mess. That's it. And he says, listen, it's God who gave the increase. It's God that that made it sprout, that made it mature, that made it sprout out and grow branches, that made it grow fruit. It's God that does all of those things. You've got waterers and you've got cedars, and that's all we're called to do. Remember I've said many times before, evangelism is not about results, it's about obedience. God says, tell that person about Jesus. Don't make them follow Jesus. God says, go make disciples. That means that God will work on the acceptance part and we work on the getting closer part. We tell them, you follow as I follow. Verse 7, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God is the one who is. He gives the increase. Otherwise, with planting and watering, again, we have just muddy seeds. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're, they're, They're a type of person, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. And I think it's important Paul said that because he doesn't want to minimize the character of our God either. Not that we're just a bunch of people that do it and just, this hurts good, God, thank you. No, but he says those that are obeying will receive a reward. It's important that if we've chosen to obey him, we've chosen to follow him, that there is a reward for that. I want to just say something real quick, and you'll see it up on the screen. Rise Chapel is full of God's people with problems only God can solve And by power only God has, through timing only God knows. 
That's who we are. And you know what I like to say after this as a pastor? This is how I pray. God, they're, their pro- they're your problem. But it's true. It's true. This is, this is and, and you can put it in here, every true life-giving fellowship is full of God's, you're not mine. You don't belong to some leader that's here. You don't belong to me as the pastor. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the job of the body to care for the leaders. And that's what Paul's saying here. We're ministers and servants. We're, we're here at the same level. I need the same care. I need the same encouragement. I need the same, same things to say, you know, you can keep going, whatever it is, just like you guys do. And I want to make it very clear for us to understand that, that Rise Chapel, if you guys don't know my wife, her name's Kelly. Rise Chapel is not Joe and Kelly's. We have these, these friends of ours that, that uh, they're not really churchy, but they always say Joe's church. That's not mine. I didn't die for you guys. I probably would never die for you. I love you, but it's not that much. Jesus does. Jesus does. It's not ours. And this is where Paul's getting it. He's saying this, this faith isn't the Paul religion or the Apollos religion which is very common in Greek culture to go and align themselves with the teacher. Well, I'm of this person, I'm of that person. But that's not so with Christ, he says. In verse 7, he talks about watering and planting and increase. And I want to encourage us all that, that the fruit here at Rise, or the fruit in any Christian's life is because God worked and we served. It's a simple combination. We serve in the capacity that he's gifted us. We serve in the capacity that he's spoken to us to serve in. But we still serve. That's it. We just plug in in any way. And I'm not saying even with this church. I'm saying serving others with a mindset of saying, I'm, what I want is less important than what you want. So what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What do you need? How do you need it? Whatever it is. In fact, one of the, the most thrifty people in the book of Acts was Cornelius. And it didn't say that he gave to the temple or the synagogue. It said what? He gave to the poor and those who were in need. And here's what happened. The Spirit came down and said, I've heard your prayers and I've seen your offerings to those who you've given. He said, I see them as offerings to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. The fruit that comes in our lives is because we follow his guidance. He's working it out. I've never ever walked out to my raspberry bushes in the spring and heard them screaming because they're trying to push fruit out. Have I? No, they just simply are there growing. It's not the very end. It's like, raspberry. No. That's other problems if you're a human. But you're not just pushing out a raspberry. Nobody can make eye contact with me now. We need to keep moving. So... I also want us to remember that there are, man, I made myself chuckle on that one. <clears throat> there are rewards for the work that we put in for the kingdom. Now, here's the key. In the kingdom is where we do the work. We can't, and again, I'm not saying this is salvation. Be very, very careful. Very careful. But in the kingdom, when we do what God has asked us to do, there's rewards. How do I say that? I'm glad you guys asked that. Go to verse 9. We're going to finish out the, the reading for, for now. Verse 9 says this. Now, this is very confusing. So I would challenge you in your homework, 
Go home and read. This is probably the best translation of it I've seen, and I, and I studied probably 12 different translations in this section. The message has the most impactful translation of verse 9 through 17. It is almost spot on for a cultural-to-cultural translation. It's powerful. So verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and here's the context for the rest of these verses. You are God's building. So he's talking to a group now. You have to set that in there because there's some misused verses you guys may have heard in the past, and I want to help that. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So he says this, I've created a foundation. It's all set. People are starting to build on that foundation, which is awesome. But be careful. Be careful who's building on that. Why does he say that? Well, he has to back up a little bit and says this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, the foundation I laid wasn't even from me. It was his message. It's his foundation. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation, he's continuing back now to his thoughts. If anyone builds on this foundation, you can underline them with different colors if you want to. Gold, silver, precious stones. And then he, he changes to something different. Wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire which will test each one's work and will show what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, remember, he's talking to the church. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So this fire is not a salvation test or a judgment test. How do you say that, Joe? Because judgment was taken by Jesus. The punishment was taken by Jesus. We're just going to walk into heaven with fig leaves. That's what he's saying. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's not talking to a person. Okay, he's not talking to a person. So if someone used that to say you shouldn't be having a piercing or shouldn't have a tattoo or shouldn't drink certain drinks or whatever, Paul wasn't talking to a person. He was talking to a unit of people. The Greek is that he's talking to a group of people, that you are the temple, you are the church, you are the body. You know that, Joe, because the grammar says it in verse 9. Let's keep going. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and which temple are you? The word defile is actually the word destroy, which is similar to the word used where fire destroys, two verses above. Just follow the grammar. Follow what the text says. So now, let's unpack that some. Because the, the, the body is the audience for what he's talking to. And he says that there's a body that's being spoken to and there's a foundation being built. But it's very important to realize that he says there's no other foundation and there are some kind of materials that aren't the best materials. So here's what I want to challenge us with is that we play church when we define the criteria and the materials to build Christ's body. We play church when we say, well, I know Christ is the foundation, but you need to do something else. No, either Christ is a foundation or he's not. That's it. And he even says that the guys that are sitting there on the bare slab of concrete are going to heaven. So when we see someone who might have a little more of a problem with their flesh than we do, 
Our job is not to go and smash their face into their own concrete. Our job is to lift them up and go, hey, you want help holding the wall up, buddy? I'll help you walk. I'll help you. Because I'd love that. If I'm struggling my walk and I know I am stupid, do I need someone coming up to me going, hey, not sure if you knew it, but you're stupid? <laughs> How many of us need that when we're down? None of us. What do we need? Someone to grab us by the scruff of our neck and say, you're not stupid, stupid. It's stupid to think you're stupid. You're awesome. That's what I would need, but some of you might need more gentle stuff. What God wants us, Rick Warren said this, I I love it. He talked about Christians. And he said, Christians, there's one way that the world is supposed to know that you're a Christian. And he says, if you call yourself a Christian, then this is what should be evidence in your life. Let's read it, because Jesus told us this. You'll see it. John chapter 13, he says this, For or you, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're disciples. Not your lists of who doesn't meet which criteria. Not your list of who's using the word reckless in worship. Who's using pants instead of dresses. Who's wearing jeans and not slacks. Who's wearing buttons up and not button up. Who's going to whatever. It says what? They will know you're a Christian because your love for one another. And here's what Rick Warren, Rick Warren said, and I, and I love it. He says, listen, if that isn't what defines your life, then stop calling yourself a Christian. That should be what defines our life as a Christian. And it's agapeo. Conditionless. Well, I mean, what does he mean like, when he says that? You can't ask a question of conditionless love. Here, I'm going to give this $50 to you. Well, why are you giving it to me? Just because. Yeah, but why? Um, just because. Why? There's no conditions. Yeah, but what's the condition? Okay, you can just keep going like this, or you can go spend it on a burger or something, all right? It's conditionless. Now, it's not responseless, because that would be selfish. There is a response we'd have. Next, verse 13 really challenged me. Let me just throw this point after I read it. Each one's work will become manifest or be made known or will be inspected because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Here's the challenge for all of us and I include myself in this. We must stop playing church and build something that lasts for our Jesus. We have to. And I don't want to get caught with the only the only one that I dedicate my life to. Everything I do, I want it to be for him. And I know that's your hearts. I don't want to get there. And he goes, all right, let's, let's go ahead and set fire to the building. And I'm standing there in a pair of jeans and my pockets are out like this going. I'm covered in the ash of the burned up life that I put in front of him with nothing to show to the one I say I love. I want that. I want him to come take a blowtorch to my house And as soon as all the smoke leaves, it's still standing there. That's the gift I want for my Savior. That's the love I want for you guys. See, Christianity itself is, it's not about building some utopia or heaven on this earth. It's not. It's about getting prepared for eternity. And we do that by knowing him and making him known. That's the life that he calls us to. And here's a prayer for you guys to write down for this week, just kind of as homework. 
And you can pray this every night and just listen to what God has to say. You can pray it in the morning for what he wants to say. But say, God, you gave me time, talents, and possessions. What did I do with them for eternity today? Let me just warn you, there's nothing fun about that prayer the first day you pray it. But do it. I challenge you. Do it. Because it will expose areas where we say, God, I I love me more than you. And I know that's not what you guys want. That's not what I want. I want to end my life empty-handed for me, but going, God, I got a semi-truck load for you coming. It's just, just coming. Because that's how important he is to me. I'm saying that those my, my actions would prove that. Not that I'm so holy and I already have semi truckloads. I, I hope I have a thimble. Let me just share with you my heart. This is for each of you. This is for my family, my wife, my friends, all of you. I want each of us to, to build with materials that would last through the fire. Using rubies instead of plastic gems. Using steel-reinforced concrete instead of a couple of little boards and some leaves. Because it doesn't say if the fire comes. It doesn't say if the inspection comes. It says, hey, God's coming. And and he's going to come and look at what you did. And he's going to reward you based on that. And he's just going to say, you know what? The best way to prove it is put it through fire. Put it through things that can have a test. Put it through things that squeeze and cause problems. And man, that will really show if we really love him is that when we're squeezed to the brink, who do we turn to? And what do we say to our creator? Because that is what really proves where our love lies. And so when the blowtorch comes to our house, do we stand there naked in the ashes because everything we built is gone? But we did stand on Jesus. We stood on Jesus, and, and we tried our way, but, but we tried. And we stand on the ash-covered base. Well, at least we make it to heaven, but that's not how much I love my God. I want all of you guys, I want me to love him so much that we stand in concrete, steel-reinforced concrete buildings that still have the paint on them when the blowtorch comes. That's what I want for us. I don't want to build here at the work of rise. I don't want it to be something where as soon as persecution comes, that first Sunday, we're empty. I want to build something here alongside you, alongside God, that when persecution comes, we are more full because there's life. That when things get hard, people don't go, well, I'm not going to church because why would I go there? But the people say, you know, there's life there. I've been invited 5,000 times by my annoying neighbor. Maybe I'll go now. Praise God for that. That's work that God wants to do. And I want my life to be a testimony that when my life is squeezed, people look at that and go, man, he's weird because life is terrible, but he still functions. That's the work of Jesus. That's the function of the Spirit working in our hearts. I just want to do a quick correction for you guys in case verse 16 and 17 many times people have used as a verse about suicide. And if your life has ever been touched by that, I'm I'm deeply sorry for that. But that verse has nothing to do with suicide. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Whoever says it, I actually would stand up for you in court if you deck them, because it's not true. It's not true. Jesus himself came with the purpose to die. If you want to mistranslate it, you could even say he was suicidal. That's not the case. 
But suicide is not the unpardonable sin. This verse does not say that, not in any grammar form, not in a proper translation would it ever say that. He's talking about the body, and the destruction is what? Building with bad material. So that when the flames come, does it still stand? That's what he's saying. And he says, guys, God's not going to play if you're handing junky pieces of wood to all your workers out there. And he's speaking to me as a leader. And they're out there building their house. Well, pastor said to build it this way. And the blowtorch comes. You're going to get to watch as I walk into heaven naked. And this is what he's saying. He says, God does not play around with people who are messing with the building process, who are trying to be divisive who are trying to cut in and, and make changes, who are trying to, to undercut things by causing people to question leaders, causing people to question what's happening, causing us to go, well, I'm not sure if I like this because they played this one song, or I'm not sure if I like this because they do these things this way. I'm not sure that God says he doesn't play games with that. And I'm glad because I was a kid. And I love having a daddy who could beat up someone else's daddy. That's good stuff right there. So I want to encourage you guys with that. But let me close with three points. You can put your Bibles and notes away. There's three questions that this entire section of Scripture really caused me to ask as I was praying about it. And the first question is this. For, for everyone that, that, that's here this morning, here's the first thing. Are you in the body? Because I was speaking very specifically, and so was Paul, to Christians to people who are wanting to be like Christ. So if you're not in the body, none of this applies yet. So I want, I want to take the moment right now that if you're not in the body, consider it, because we'll, we'll be praying about that in just a minute. Because that's the, that's the first issue we have to get out of the way, is that are you with him? Are you in the body with him? Are you really transforming Christ? Are you standing on his foundation that when the blowtorch comes, the napalm is sprayed, that at least I'm standing on steel-reinforced concrete, ready for whatever comes at me? That's the first thing. Here's the second question I want to ask. Maybe some of us today saw that we've built our house with junk. We got the leftover stuff from out back. We've kind of pieced it together. We were talking with some people this week. We have two same horror stories about our house that it looks like the guy either was coming off of or coming on to drugs at some point when he built everything. Is that what our building for God looks like? Maybe God has looked at each of us and said, you got some remodeling to do. And he doesn't sit there and scream, he's, he's holding the very things we need to build with. And he says, you got remodeling to do because the fire's coming. And I, I want the fire to come and I want every one of your buildings to be standing at the end. Because you know what that is? Because the world will see those good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not you. But they'll look at our beautiful houses made of wood and such and they go, wow, look at how amazing he is. And then when, when literally all hell breaks loose. They look at the same house and they go, fake. Fake. Everything he built up for his Jesus fell apart because as soon as his life has a problem, nothing's standing. So maybe God's got some rebuilding for you. Here's the last one. Do you have materials that are beautiful, but you're not using them? Maybe God says, there's a massive gap in the building right here, son, daughter, and I've given you these awesome materials here in your life. 
they go there, he says. You're, you're gifted. You're passionate. You, you have a heart for whatever things they are, whether it's in the community or here at Rise. Where has God gifted you, given you strengths and abilities that his kingdom can go further and the building for him looks awesome, but it hasn't happened yet? And you're holding them. I just know if I want to because, you know, I, I got hurt at a church one time. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I've had to confront pastors before for what they've done to people that showed up here. I don't like doing that as a practice, but I've had to before. But that doesn't mean that the entire body is useless because one hand slapped you. We still have to obey God and do what he asks of us. And even if we're hurt every single time, at least we're obeying our Father. I don't want that for any of us. I don't, and I don't ever want to hurt you unreasonably. Meaning, sometimes I might be irritating and cause conviction in your life. Oh, well, get over it. But I don't want to hurt you personally. But I'm also human. So let's do this this morning. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray this with you. First off, every head bowed, Christian, you're praying right now. Every head bowed. If you are not part of that body, if you are not a Christian, Raise your hand this morning. I'd love to pray with you. If you're not part of the body, amen. Amen. Maybe, this just popped in my head, maybe you've kind of disconnected from the body and you see it from the outside now and you want back. And guess what? The Christians didn't let you. Well, I'm here to say Jesus doesn't care. He wants you back. So maybe that's you this morning. Raise your hand. Here's the second thing I want to pray with you guys about. Maybe it's time for some remodeling, or maybe it's time to use what he gave us. And I want to pray with you on that. Because it's the same willful decision. It's God, I love you more than me. So raise your hand with me this morning and pray. Amen, amen, amen. I'm raising my hand too. Amen. Five more seconds, anybody else? Amen. Now you can pray this with me quietly. You can pray it loudly. It doesn't matter to me, but I'm just going to guide, and I'm only guiding you to the foundation. Jesus, I'm sorry. Maybe your body has hurt me, and I didn't forgive them, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry for building with bad materials and not loving you enough. I'm sorry for sitting here with beautiful gems and gifts and calling them ugly, God. You made them. Forgive me, please. Give me wisdom on where to use them. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to hear only your voice as I go through life. To be guided by the Spirit and not the flesh to be governed completely by what you have to say about somebody and not regard anybody according to my perspectives. I love you, Jesus. Amen. God, I praise you for this day. I praise you for the the glory that 
you let us see. I praise you for the work of Jesus. God, I, I know that you want to build something incredible with your people. And I ask that we would be out of the way, but also that we would be part of that, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit moves and works and, and does things in us that we never would have imagined, that we walk out of here and we are not the same. That you would touch us, God, and we would be submitted to you alone, God. And all together, amen.